January of 2013, Sabin Moreau, a 67-year-old woman from Belgium, was driving to pick up a friend at a train station in Brussels, which is about 90 miles from her house. But based on faulty directions from her GPS, she drove all the way to Croatia, 900 miles away from home. If you're looking at a map of Europe, uh, Belgium is up here, and Croatia is way down here. Brussels is about right there. 900 miles. The journey took this lady through Germany, Austria, Slovenia, and finally into Croatia. She stopped several times to get gas and take naps, but she kept pressing on. After a few days, her son got worried and called the police. They located Sabin by following her bank statement. She told a Belgian reporter, I was distracted, so I kept going. I saw all kinds of signs, first in French, then in German, then in Croatian. But I continued driving because I was distracted. When I passed Zagreb, which is the capital of Croatia, I told myself I should turn around. I'm glad she figured that out. When asked if she found the length of the journey or the change of language strange, she replied, maybe, but I was just preoccupied. I was a bit absent-minded as I had a few things to think about, I suppose. Now, I don't know the, the, law, the most lost you've ever gotten geographically, but that's, that's pretty bad. It reminds me of a story in, in Georgia. One uh, man, <coughs> famous in the town, uh, he actually got on 285 and, and turned the wrong direction and then got on I-20. And instead of going into Atlanta, he got all the way to Alabama before he realized he was going the wrong direction. I don't think any of us set out in our life to make a mess of it. I, I don't think any of us intend to get off track. I don't, I don't think any of us intend to get in some of the messes we find ourselves in. And God doesn't want us to get in to those messes. He doesn't want us to get off track. Remember, if you were here last week, we left by talking about the, the people of God, the nation of Israel in the desert. And the Exodus after being miraculously delivered from Pharaoh and Egyptian slavery, they find themselves in the desert. Appreciate Mo stepping in for that. Uh, he likened himself last week to a minor league pitcher being called up. Uh, he's back in the minors. Spot start. But he told you about the Exodus. In that three three weeks, or excuse me, three months after the Exodus, we pick up the story again. And it's very important that you see this. In the New Testament or the Old Testament of Scripture, it describes to us this concept. As we talk about the upper story of God's plan of, of redemption and deliverance for his people, uh, we're talking about the covenants of God. There's an old covenant, and we first see it here. It's new to these people coming through the desert in the Exodus, but we now call it the old covenant. And in the New Testament, we'll see that God develops a new covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant you might say is a contract, but I think it's a little more than that in Scripture. When we talk about a covenant that God makes with His people, it is a sacred contract. It is a way for us to have a relationship with the holy, holy, holy God we just sang about. It is a way for us to have a relationship with the one who made us, the one who is perfect, and who can... By His grace, we can have a relationship again with Him, despite our times, our instances of getting off track. 
Here we see this covenant described. Exodus 19 is where we pick up the story. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him, called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and now I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that sacred contract, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Among, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. Listen very carefully. They all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Well, the covenant God is making here is what? That he will claim these people as his own. That he will make them a treasured possession. And that he will make them preeminent in the land. That his blessings will flow to them. And listen, when we talk about a sacred contract, the covenants that we make before God, we can understand that God never goes back on his word. God never breaks his promises. When we have a Christian wedding, it's not just words we say one to the other. It's not just statements we make as we feel about it today. It's a promise, a holy promise we make before God. When we come to Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior, when we test about others that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we say when we say he is our Lord and Savior, we, we will live to please him. We're entering into a covenantal relationship. God says, I will provide for you the forgiveness of sins as you go through baptism. I will provide for you the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a covenant. God extends his commitment in this covenant. And the people at least initially, say what? We will do everything he has commanded. We will do everything he has said. Now, the problem with that is, as I said at the beginning, we get off track, sometimes without knowing. We are creatures prone to temptation. And we will see that it's a lot harder to follow through with that commitment, to do everything the Lord has said, than it is to say that. In lining out this covenant, God always, along with the covenant, comes commands. There's a new covenant. There's new commands. We refer to them, and you might think of them today as old commands, because they're the Ten Commandments. Not only does God say, I will extend to you this covenantal promise, but he gives the people directions on how to, to be in relationship with him, how to follow him how to live their lives in a way that's pleasing to him and that will bring blessing to them and to others. Follows right after Exodus 9 to Exodus 20, we pick it up. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment one. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am your God. I'm a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents 
the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor male servant or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments. Just, I wanted to read them all you. So oftentimes we shorten them into just the first sentence of each one. There was a time in our land not so long ago when the Ten Commandments were prominently displayed in courthouses and in public places all across the land. It's a mark, a sad statement about our culture that we've we've sought to take out the commandments. Here God is making with his people and these people that he's delivered, he's making a covenantal relationship with them. He will make them great if they will follow the commands. The commands he gives to them on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up one time, then he goes back up another and comes down and speaks the commands to the people. And we hear their response in uh, excuse me, Exodus 24.3. When Moses went and told the people all the words and laws, <clears throat> Exodus 24, 3, uh, all the people's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we can do. Sounds familiar. That's what they said in chapter 19. Now, notice here, sometimes we think that Moses just went up that first time, but he actually goes up a third time. He goes up a third time to the mountain, and that's when God actually writes the commandments on the stone. And there's a period of 40 days that he goes up. We read about that in Exodus 24, 15-18. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the Lord, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from in the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, you know, again, it, with the, the CGI we have today, I would love to see this depicted. And how awesome it must have been to see the presence of the Lord in this great cloud. But Moses understood if he was going to be gone for a while, he needed to make provision. The only person he took up with him this third time to the top of the mountain, I guess Moses was in pretty good shape. The only person he took up with him was Joshua, his age who later would take over as leader of the people. And he left his brother Aaron in charge. He, he said to all the people who were kind of camped out at the base of the mountain, hey, if y'all have any kind of disputes, Aaron is here to take care of you. Now, Moses goes up, and as I said, he, he 
takes down, and uh, with God's help, he, he comes up with these tablets of stone that have the Ten Commandments on them. While all that's going on, those people, it's only seven weeks that they're down at the base, those people come up with this impulse. They come to Aaron and say, uh, we want to make uh, uh, this goal that we have, we want to make uh, an image. We want to make a, a statue. We want to make a, a statue of a calf. Now, for whatever reason, Aaron goes along. Maybe he just wants to be popular. Maybe he wants to, to keep friends. I don't know. But he goes along, and they make this golden calf. And so when Moses and Joshua come back down from the mountain with these tablets of stone, he sees, Moses does, this violation of the first two of those Ten Commandments. He spoke to the people. They said, everything we will do, uh, everything we, we will do as the Lord has said, just seven weeks earlier, they'd all said, we promise to do these things. Those first two commandments, they break. You should keep the Lord God first. You should not make a graven image. Does that ever happen to us? Yeah, maybe. We start thinking about it. If God gives us commands, if God gives us instructions on how to live, sometimes we put whatever we have in our mind, whatever we are focused on, whatever we desire first, for God to go Maybe we put that hobby or that person or that habit or that lust before what God has told us is good for us. Well, Moses is enraged and he throws down the tablets in anger and he gives to the people the displeasure of God. It says that the golden calf was smashed into pieces. And out of the dust of the golden calf, they mixed it with water and made everybody drink it. Talk about getting your mouth washed out with soap. That must have tasted great, right? Anybody had any gold water lately? God is very serious. In the Bible, he calls not doing what he wants to do, what he wants us to do, or, or doing what he doesn't want us to do. He calls that sin. And the Bible says that whether we know it or not, when we sin, the punishment is death. And that's what happens here. Maybe it's the people who are the main instigators, but it says that 3,000 of them were put to death by the sword. Show us how serious about us listening and keeping our, our part of the covenant. And so we see here these commands and these things that God tells us to do. We see that they still have an impact. They still have their way with us today, but a little differently. Two practical observations I want to leave you with as we've gone through week five here of the story. First, it's possible to honor God with your words, but not your life. It's possible to honor God with your words, but not your life. It's easy to say, I believe something. It's easy to believe I stand for something. That's a lot harder to follow through, isn't it? I like the story about a police officer who pulled a driver over and asked for his license and registration. What's wrong, officer, the driver asked. I didn't go through any red lights, but I certainly wasn't speeding. 
you said you're exactly right. You weren't. But I saw you waving your fist at, as you swerved around that lady that was driving slowly in the left lane. And I further observed you getting red in the face, flushed and angry, as you shot at the driver of that Hummer who cut you off. And how you pounded your steering wheel when you got stopped in traffic at the bridge. Is that a crime, officer? The man said, no, the officer said. But when I saw that Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had to be stolen. It's easy to say something, isn't it? It's easy to say, I believe something. But our actions, as Jesus said, testify to what's really inside of us, what's really in our heart. Jesus said it a different way, Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He replied that Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See? But then our actions so often times don't match up with our words. How quickly they had forgotten. Out of slavery, God had miraculously delivered them. God had parted the Red Sea. God had made his presence, his glory known on Mount Sinai and given them this great glorious promise of his covenantal protection and identity for them. And they forget, as we can forget. Psalm 109 is reminded of this. Psalm 109, uh, verses 19 to 20, or Psalm 106, 19 to 22. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast for metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Friends, today I think my main intention is to have us think about our life. Maybe as the lady I talked about at the beginning, maybe we we see that we've been following the wrong directions. Maybe we see that that we've gone a different way. Maybe we see that maybe we've made an idol out of something in our life. Maybe our devotion to sports or our devotion to our business, our devotion to a person or some other pursuit. Maybe we put something before God. It's very, very convicting, isn't it? They are worshiping something that eats grass, an idol of a bull. So oftentimes we can worship the wrong things. And it's a tragedy that it robs us from the impact that focusing on the right things can have. Focusing on a relationship with God, focusing on loving others as God's love flows through us. The second observation is this, that God's commands are for our good. God's commands are for our good. You know, when your kids are little, you have some things that maybe all of us say to them. Don't touch the stove. Why do we say that? The stoves are hot and burn you. Right? Go to bed and get a good night's rest. Why? Because a lack of sleep will catch up to you. I know <laughs> I got about four hours last night. Y'all all kind of look kind of fuzzy out there. 
We give our children commands not because we want them to be miserable, not because we don't want them to enjoy life. We give them commands because we know that ultimately it's in their best interest. And so God lays out his commands for our best interest, for our society's best interest, for the relationships that we have that be in the best interest of one another. God's commands, these Ten Commandments, are repeated throughout the New Testament. In fact, the greatest commandments are found in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus was challenged and by a group of Pharisees, and they said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you think about those first four commandments, they all are about loving God. Putting God first, not making a graven image, remembering His day, a day of worship, and to rest, and to focus and keep Him holy. All of those commands are about loving God, a relationship with Him. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All those last six commandments are all about the way we interact horizontally with other people, aren't they? Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't covet. All of those commandments. So God repeats them, and you know what? Jesus repeats all the commandments except one, and in every case, he makes them even more demanding. For instance, he says, if you look at a woman and desire her, who is not your wife, then you've committed sin. Not, not that you acted upon that desire, but if you look at her and have that desire in your heart. The only command Jesus doesn't repeat is remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath day was Saturday. Because in the New Testament, as it begins the church, the church, the holy day, is on Sunday, the first day of the week. And I, I think the principle of rest, the Sabbath, is repeated in Jesus' teaching, but not remember the Sabbath day. In essence, what I'm saying to you is these commands are still in effect for us. Why? Because they reflect to us the good life as we follow them, as we keep them. These commands and others, if you fit every decision you make into loving God with all that you have, and loving others as yourself. You fit every, if that's the filter every decision goes through, friends, you're going to live a great life. You're going to have a great impact on others. But we can't resist jumping the fence, can we? The Bronx River runs through New York. It goes by the Bronx Zoo. If you go there right near the Bronx Zoo, at the Bronx River, there's a, a really inviting place to go swimming. And they put up a three-foot-high fence. I don't know why it wasn't bigger. But in July 2010, a group of teenagers jumped this three-foot-high fence, which was clearly posted, danger, no swimming. They jumped this three-foot-high fence, and they went swimming. This particular day, a 15-year-old boy and a 17-year-old girl drowned in the Bronx River. As reporters gathered and interviewed some of the other teenagers, they all said, yeah, people get hurt here all the time. Swimming. And one even said, well, sometimes the, the park rangers come around, but never the real cops. 
They repeatedly ignored the warning. Danger. No swimming. Just like we we forget. We get off track. We get in places in our life where we're living in a way that's not pleasing to God. Today, my request to you as you hear these words is is to consider and evaluate your life. There are areas of your life where you've gotten off track to come and confess those to God. To turn away from them. To get back on track. The great news I have for you today is God knows that we're not perfect. God knows that none of us could always make the right decision. God no longer has a covenant of law in place for you and for me. He has a covenant of grace. In fact, the New Testament tells us that Jesus came because we couldn't keep all of the laws forever and always. Jesus came by his grace that we could respond by faith and believe and be saved. Our sins could be forgiven. But out of that relationship, out of us coming to Christ by faith, out of us developing a personal relationship with Him and loving Him and then living for Him, we would not keep the commandments because we had to. We would live by the commandments because we want to please Him and we want to make a difference for Him in the lives of our own lives and the lives of others. See, these are important words. That God wants to have a covenant relationship with you. The question is, are you willing to yield yourself to Him? Are you willing to submit and to give your life to Jesus? And if you are a Christian, are you willing to say no to those temptations to go out and over the fence? Are you willing to stay within this track that He's given to you? I urge you, I urge you to come back to the narrow way that leads to life. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way of God, and blessed it is. Let us all join together in this covenant by keeping His commands. Fathers, we think about these things. I pray today that uh, you have spoken to us, whether it's need for change you have motivated us. I thank you for your grace by sending your son Jesus here and that we could be forgiven for our sins. I thank you also for your spirit which works to convict us. Maybe today we've been convicted. we got stuff going on in our life that we know is not pleasing to you. we put other things before you. We've made idols just as the Israelites did and and we need those to be torn down. We ask, Father, for you to speak to us today and for us. I pray you give us the courage and the strength to listen. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.